So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the F1 podcast that puts slicks on when it rains. I would have put on slicks for like the whole race just because... Yeah. I do it when I go out. If it's raining... I just don't make good decisions in life. So why would I expect my fantasy F1 to be any different? Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, patiently expecting rain. It's going to come, isn't it? Is it? It might. It didn't feel like it was going to come, and then it came. And it did, and it was actually quite entertaining. Then it wasn't. Welcome to For Formula One Sake, the Formula One podcast equivalent of a Sergio Perez Championship Challenge. Extinct. A tiny bit of hope for Mexican listeners, <laughs> and then nothing. Welcome to For Formula One Sake, the F1 podcast with grooved undersides. Well, that's a, that's a bit personal. That reminds me of, do you remember there was a Boost advert in the 90s with Vic and Bob? No. And the slogan was, oh, was it a Boost? Chocolatey ripple with a flat underside. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, only me remembers no, that. No, I don't remember that. And I like neither will our listeners. <laughs> you can't get them here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the podcast F1 really deserves. I'm Laura Leslie, and today, from our expensive home studios, we'll be offering incisive expert opinion on the Monaco Grand Prix. Alternatively, we'll be scoffing at all of it and mocking anyone that took part. Because F1 is silly, and Monaco is a silly, silly place. So stand by for a smattering of abuse, scorn, mild befuddlement, and maybe, just maybe, some accidental kind of insight. That is all to come. Joining me is a man who will not learn his lesson. It's Phil Tromond. Hello. You remember last episode, I got sunburned on the beach. Well, had a big 
work event last week and I was going to be outside all day. I was like, right, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to take the sun cream. So got some sun cream, made sure it was all okay. Drove up to the event, got out the car, beautiful sunshine, went to put the sun cream on, forgot it. Got massively sunburned again. So I don't know what the lesson is here. Bring your sun could cream. You, could you not borrow someone else's sun cream or would that feel weird? Well, it does feel a little bit weird. I don't know. Is it weird to ask for a for another man's sun cream? I don't know. Well, it depends when you ask, I think. If, if they're just applying it to their back when you <laughs> step in, then they might. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I, I should have done. Fine. I kind of I foolishly thought it'll be fine, and it wasn't. And now I'm peeling on my nose and on my forehead. It's it's not oh. it's not nice. It's no Never good. trust a man to put a sun cream on another man. Oh, I wasn't going to invite somebody else to put it on my face. I mean, that was that would be a step too far. Although, actually, now, would it? no, that would be too far. You'll always end up with something rather phallic on you. Put it that way. <clears throat> and sun cream, maybe as well. <laughs> Hopefully. And beside him is a man who once had some very expensive sushi. It's Terry Saunders. So I had some expensive sushi, yes, last week, but by accident. I was having a very tired day, and. <laughs> I didn't want to leave my flat, so I ordered some sushi, right? So far, so good. We're with, everyone's with me Is so far. Is that a thing that Easy people story. do? Okay. It's a Berlin what? thing. Was it on Uber? Yeah, it was like, well, the, the German equivalent. It's called Lieferando. Anyway, this was a reorder. This was like a kind of, you know, place, replace last order again. I've done it several times. This is like a regular meal for me. And about an hour after I ordered it, I had this phone call, and it was a guy in German, and my terrible German, and his, he didn't have very good English. We basically worked out that he was outside my apartment block, but the bell wasn't working. So I let him in, still nothing. I go outside, he's not there. So we have this very surreal conversation where I'm like, what well, about my door? And he's like, well, I'm at your door. And I was like, well, one of us is wrong and I live here. <laughs> and it turns out the app had made a mistake and given an address in the center of Berlin, it must have like defaulted to something, but I hadn't noticed. And it wasn't this poor guy's fault. So I was just like, well, here's my real address. And then he was like, he just started kind of saying, well, I'm going to make a loss if I deliver that. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get there. And I'm like, well, I'm really sorry because it's not your fault. And I was like, I'll tip you. I'll try and make it worth your while. And I was like, how much would it take? And he didn't actually say an amount. And I'm like, okay, fine. So he finally turns up at mine like an hour late, like an hour and a half after I first ordered it. And all I had on me was a 20 euro note. And I just couldn't face going outside. So I'd already paid like, I think, 25 or 30 euros for the sushi. And then I paid another 20 just to make myself feel better. So me and the cat ended up sitting down eating 50 euro sushi on was a it, Tuesday evening. Was it good? I mean, it was fine. Laura, what have you been up yes. to? Yes. Oh, who are you? Tell the listeners. I am a tiny Scottish idiot who likes Formula One. That's probably the best sum up of, of me I can muster up at the moment. But you're, wow. you're, unlike us, you genuinely have credentials for Formula One. Well, you say credentials. What but, that basically means is I can tell you who finished fifth in the 1994 Japanese Grand Prix without looking at Google, which is completely pointless, but also that's what got me my job. So Outstanding. And your job being? I'm currently a social media manager for Autosport. Yeah, an actual F1 person. Who was fifth in the 1996 Terry, you, are you questioning her knowledge on who was fifth in the 1994 Japanese Grand Prix? Yeah, I just want to know if you do know it? who's fifth in the 1994. Yeah, well, obviously. I can't remember, I just I can't remember what year you said. Right, so Hill won, Schumacher was second, uh, Alizé was third, Mansell was fourth, and... <laughs> you torpedoed your own... <laughs> Probably, yeah, your she just boast. said fourth, not fifth. I think it was 
friends are you finished with? <laughs> I, I was slightly wrong. It was uh, Eddie Irvine, Friends in the Sixth. Oh, I'm still pretty impressed. I tell you what, I tell you what, this, this, because I, I enjoy things like this. Pick a race and I will try and name you the podium as long as it's 1994 onwards. Right. 2002 Hungarian. 2002 Hungarian. Yeah. Don't have a clue. Off we go to Listener's Corner, doing our best to judge it correctly and not break our suspension on the wall like some kind of idiot. We've said it before, and we'll say it again, but Monaco is dull. Or are we being harsh on it? Let's canvas our listeners to find out. Jackie Kerr says, the helicopter views were nice. De Gasman says, literally fell asleep and woke up to the wet track. This race has got to go. Glad I've got Indian NASCAR to make the interesting. Dougie Harper says, shit, then less shit, with wet shit, then drying shit, with inclement shit. Was exciting for a while. At least Chica no longer had to watch this dry, wet, dry shit. We don't talk about her anymore. Doug has given me an idea of how to make Monaco more interesting. <laughs> that's, that's just to fling dog shit all over the track. <laughs> Have a slurry wagon go around before. <laughs> well, imagine, imagine the ground effect arrow on dog shit. Oh. <laughs> but that's an incentive oh. to get past the car in front of you because I, I just think if they tried a bit harder, they could. Do it's it. nature's flovis. <laughs> <laughs> All I can think of is the visors just yeah. being clotted. So many tear offs. Oh. When they roll in. <laughs> They're all into the carriage, some poor mechanic has to like put his trousers down and shit in one of the airpods. <laughs> well, that, that's what you can get happening when the driver the driver's last race, when they've got to change to another team. You yes. have all the mechanics just shitting everywhere so that it just goes mm. everywhere. In the, in the water that would bottle. Be amazing. Yeah. That does remind me of a genuinely true story that I was told many years ago when I worked in the theatre, darling. And apparently in the West End production of Singing in the Rain, starring Tommy Steele, Tommy Steele was such a grade-A wanker to all of the people backstage that on his final show, there's a big water tank where they do the final song and it rains on stage. And every single stage had, one of which was my old lecturer, pissed in that tank <laughs> on the last day. <laughs> so he, what a glorious feeling. never to go to that theatre, then. <laughs> yeah. Be nice to people. That's all you need to do. Just be nice. Just be nice. Otherwise, they'll they'll piss on you. Anyway, Monaco. Speaking of being nice, full of lovely people. It was. It was dull, wasn't it? I did see a load of people going. Oh, that was quite a good race for Monaco. I was like, yeah, for Monaco, it's always dull. And this had what four, five entertaining laps. Qualifying was good. I believe it had thirteen overtakes, though. So that, I mean, for Monaco, that's pretty some good. Overtaking. Yeah, <coughs> which I immediately makes it one of like the best. The last three years combined. Exactly, which immediately makes it a good Monaco race. But it was still like, oh my god, I was just sitting there. Five laps in, I was like, I've just realised I've been looking at my phone for the last lap because nothing's happening. When the rain came and it really started to look like it was going to get genuinely treacherous, still everything was fine. Surely, the, if there's one track where a lot of rain means all the cars are going to be skidded off and safety cars everywhere, it's Monaco. Mm. And they all well, a few, a few. pretty much stroll. Yeah, but they all stroll managed to go off and then hit a barrier and then somehow hit another barrier like five seconds later. So the point about the helicopter was interesting because of <clears throat> after many many years of the local Rolex Club or whatever it's called Rotary Club 
doing the cameras for Monaco because this is the way it's always been done, old boy. And we bought these cameras in 1964 and we're going <laughs> to bloody well get the most out of them. And now finally they've somehow managed to let the normal F1 broadcasting people... Yeah, actual people who know what in. they're doing. And they've gone, do you know what? Why do we put a camera somewhere different? Oh, no, no, boy, that's not how we do it in Monaco. <laughs> this, is, this is where the camera filmed Jim Clark in 1964. And we don't want it. I don't know why Monaco are very posh and British. That's how I imagine Monaco. I mean, they probably are, let's be honest. Uh, or posh just, and French. Yeah, just this is how we do it. It was noticeably better. There were some good this angles. This is how we do it. I like the, the, the best Sorry. thing that the, of the old the old TV direction was the coming into the swimming pool with the with the left right chicane that was always a really good shot and now they had that but they also panned as they went past and uh, genuine drama is like okay they are going really fast but even that after you know 25 laps and nothing else happening was getting a bit old I felt and did they not have a helicopter before I could, I, it seems weird that they didn't have one but no, I couldn't remember I'm not sure why yeah I couldn't remember but helicopter it was quite shots cool, before I, I like the helicopter view when you look down it looked like you know those mats you used to play with when you were a kid. The sure, like, when I was a kid, yeah, not thing. now, yeah. Yeah, that like you just used to play. It literally just made Monaco look like one of those. And I thought that was quite cool. It did. But it showed off the gradient as well, like how steep after turn one, slash two, whatever it is, when they go up the hill, how steep that is. Which I don't think I tweaked quite how steep that was. But then you see it from afar, and it's like, well, oh, that's really steep. The weird thing about Monaco is when you're there, you don't realise how many steps there's going to be. Have you been? There's just steps everywhere. Yeah, I went in 2018 when Ricardo won. Oh yeah, Ricardo won a race, didn't he? I forgot about that. A long, long time ago. Do you remember when he had a drive? Oh, he'll he'll be back. He'll be back. No, he won't. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, Monaco is, yeah, it's a weird place and there's a lot of steps and a lot of hills and... The only thing of advice I could give you is never ever manage to walk down to where the Lowe's hairpin is in the middle of a session because you will end up getting stuck there and mm. you've got to go all the way around the entire track up a hill to get to where you need to go. So, yeah. And no one will give or, you a lift on a scooter. The other no. advice is to be rich enough to have a yacht. Hmm. Like me. There is that. Which I don't. I mean, maybe if we all chip in. <laughs> Speaking, speaking of rich people and yachts, did you see one yacht? Some utter, utter bellend had thought, it's not enough to park my yacht up at Monaco. Why don't I put my Ferrari F40 on the yacht so everyone can see it? And do you see that? Ugh. Literally, on the prow of his yacht, there was a Ferrari F40. And the only reason probably you'd put that there would be go, look how great... It-. Yeah, it probably was him, actually. <laughs> <coughs> or Eddie Jordan, maybe, I don't know. Um yeah, it strikes me as a place that there are a lot of irritating rich bastards. Do you mean all the Formula, all the current Formula One drivers yeah. and previous Nico sure. Rosberg? Yeah. There's this weird thing as well, though, where you know you have like ten years of Monaco where nothing happens, and then you get that one race where it's absolutely mental. Like you know, 2016 when we had like Rosberg flung, falling down the field like a stone because he was useless, <laughs> and you know. The car driving is bad pit stop and all that kind of stuff. Like sometimes we get that odd race that is mental enough to possibly justify having it on the calendar. But that's just a confluence of random occurrences. It's not because of Monaco. You know how Red Bull do those kind of glory runs where they they get an old car and they get David Coulthard in it and they go, oh, we're going to get do it down a motorway. Every team should be allowed to do one weird publicity glory run 
through Monaco, and whoever does it most impressive, make it like a Taskmaster run. Whoever does the most impressive thing or sets off the most balloons gets to win they, Monaco. Well, Red Bull does the the soapbox derby, doesn't it? Have you ever seen yeah, that? Where all they the teams have to, to make their own cars out of wood. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I was just going to say, but they have they have to do a sort of comedy presentation and wear fancy dress, and then so race through the streets. What of Monaco. you're saying is basically Monaco, but make it Mario Kart. Yeah. Yes. yes. That would be great. Yes. Turtles. Banana skins. Brilliant. Let's talk about Fernando Alonso, who must have thought he had at least a chance of winning this weekend. He nearly took pole, and then it all went wrong in the race when he pitted for slicks, even though it was pissing down with rain. Rich Tebb says, Aston Martin wins the Ferrari of the Week award for bad strategy, for thinking that slicks were the best idea. Old Matt Eccleston may have been onto something with his track sprinklers idea, as that was the only point that people woke up. Keith R. Swank... Alonso trying an unusual strategy in a street race and his teammate crashes soon after his pit stop. I've seen enough F1 to know what they were trying to do there. Didn't crash hard enough though, did you Lance? Yeah, you tr- I mean bless, bless him. Yeah, He was really going for it, wasn't he? He wanted to make Daddy and... Uh, well, who's Daddy for Lance now? Is it Fernando or is it Lawrence? <sighs> Questions. So Doesn't is that crowd. what's been going I think, on? I think Lawrence is Daddy and Alonso's Papa. <laughs> <laughs> Papi. Oh. Is that is is that what's been going on? Has Alonso been grooming Lance to the point where Lance is now going? Okay, I, I Papa, I'm going to crash for you. you should be having in the UK right now. Well, <laughs> can know. I just say? Can I just say that in 2008, in my comedy Edinburgh show, Figure Eight, I had a very long, funny bit about Philip Schofield and how he wasn't all what he seemed. Which wasn't wow. based on any rumour or scandal. It was just based on the fact that I took the most clean TV presenter I could think of. And it turns out I was right. <laughs> I also told a very bad lie to Rolf Harris. Have I told you that story before? No. How, so, how many uh, terrible people have you interacted with during your career? Seemingly, all of them. Um, <laughs> so I, went, I got tickets to see a Rolf Harris art exhibition, which must be... We're talking about... 15 years ago and it was him doing serious art you know it's one of those kind of things it was a swanky London launch thing and a friend of mine had tickets and there was a bit where he was there were Rolf-a-Roos that were like the first ones he ever drew and they kind of said uh, he doesn't do Rolf-a-Roos anymore because you know too many people asked for them etc etc anyway right at the end he was doing like a Q&A and a signing and it was my friend's birthday and I thought what would be funny is to get a card signed by Rolf Harris so I went into the queue and then he was signing, but everyone was like asking for too many questions and he was getting quite tired. So they stopped the queue in front of me and said, sorry, you can't get anything signed. So I then made a direct appeal to Rolf and said, my friend is in hospital <laughs> and she's not very well. And a Rolf would really make her day. And he, you know, genuinely looked quite upset and he signed this card. And I felt terrible about this for eight. For eight well, I felt terrible about this until the allegations came out. And then I was like, okay, he deserved that. Yeah, you got one back in Rough justice. Rough justice. Yeah. I made him draw a roll for Yeah. And that's a lot like Fernando Alonso. Sorry, it's a 4 to 1 podcast, isn't it? <laughs> um, I. Okay, so Alonso apparently said, are we sure that Slicks is the right idea? And Aston Martin went, Yes. So this was Alonso driven, was it? 
No pun intended. No, the opposite. I think he said, are you sure we should do slicks? And they oh. said, yeah, yeah, we've looked at the data. And then, obviously, a lap later, it didn't happen. Now, he's been very magnanimous about it. Obviously, you make decisions in the moment, blah, 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 blah. But I think we have just witnessed the first crack in the Alonso-Aston Martin relationship because he thinks he could have won that race and he didn't. I mean, I think personally that Aston Martin should have just looked out the fucking window. But it does, yeah, it know, does seem a bit odd. They must have seen that rain coming. Well, you'd think, wouldn't you? Because everyone else saw it, and like even Ferrari got it right. I think didn't they? Well, actually, no, they didn't. But we'll get to that. Was that a fluke, though? Yeah, probably. Um, Even a stop Ferrari strategist is right once a day. <laughs> That's not true. They're not. But I just pronounced the word strategist, strategist, yeah, and I strategist. quite like that. Strategist. You've been in Germany too long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, it did seem like this was the race that Alonso was going to be good at. And I'm, I was genuinely surprised when he didn't get pole um, in qualifying, which, let's remember, was the exciting bit of the weekend. Um, and that last sector by Verstappen was genuinely impressive. And that was, and, and once they started, and Verstappen stayed ahead into the first corner, I was like, "Well, that's the end of that." Then, and as it turned out, Verstappen was much faster anyway. But I don't know. But he finished what twenty twenty eight seconds behind or something, having had to make an extra pit stop to put the right tires on. Yeah, I mean, a pit stop was going to cost you around twenty seconds. So he still yeah. would have finished probably a good ten seconds behind Verstappen, no matter what. But wouldn't he have come out after the original pitch stops ahead of Verstappen? Because he was only really like eight seconds um, behind. So they'd have if both... Aston Martin had done a good pit stop, possibly. Yeah, That means at least Verstappen would have had to try to overtake him on track if Aston Martin hadn't done the stupid extra pit stop, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a high possibility that would have happened. Um, in other news, Honda's back. Yes, we know it never really properly went away, what with Red Bull's engine. But it's now announced a partnership with Aston Martin for 2026. So not with Red Bull. This all comes after Honda announced its withdrawal from F1 at the end of 2021. What do we make of all this then? <sighs> Honda, we're here. We're going. We're going. We're going. We're back. We're, we're back. We're going again. We're going. Again. No, we're not really going because we live on in Red. We're back. 2027, they'll so, leave again. So Honda's a cat. Yes. <laughs> well, it's more like Honda. The Honda main company is like a cat. And the Formula One project is a thing that's perilously close to the edge of a table. And the cat's just going. <laughs> um, yeah, I can picture that perfectly. So what What I don't understand. So I know that 2026 regulations are different, etc. But obviously there's a lot of the same engine technology going ahead. And yet Honda have made an engine that turns out to be a very good championship winning engine. And then they've just sold they the decided to leave, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But they've sold the, the engine IP and everything to Red Bull mm. and say, we can help support it, but we don't want it to be called Honda anymore because we're embarrassed by this winning engine. Yeah. <laughs> we're a lot Honda of their staff as well, not... I think, have gone to Red Bull, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, we're embarrassed about this. That's not the Honda way <laughs> to win. So they, what, I, what, what I'm trying to understand is, have they signed away their own engine plan, engine build, engine designs... Because can they not use their own designs because they sold them to Red Bull, who are now going to be used by... So the, what I'm trying to say is, is the is the really good Honda engine going to be called Ford in 2026? And Honda have to do a brand new engine, but they can't use their own notebooks because they've sold it all to Red Bull. <laughs> well, because th the, the engine regulation changed in 26, so presumably it's, it's basically a blank slate. And I presume Ford are going to come in with their own thing, 
with the Red Bull Ford. Well, thing. Ford are just kind of badging it. It's the thing, isn't it? They're, they're, they're putting money and marketing in, but it's, it's well, they're, the Red they're Bull badging the Red Bull thing that is actually a Honda. Honda, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> it's yeah, very vaguely F1. yes. I mean, I I don't know exactly what rules are changing for the engine rules in twenty twenty six, but I don't think it's the entire power unit. I think there are going to be parts carried over. Yeah, I think a lot of it so, is kind of yeah. I think so, it's, it's generally you know, a, a next evolution of the regulation. So, a Honda going to yeah. be allowed to use their old engine that's not theirs anymore? It's actually a Ford now. Is this that is what you're saying? They yeah. still own yeah. the original IP. They do. I would imagine okay. they could. But if they've sold the IP to Red Bull, then they won't. They'll have to do everything from scratch. Which you'd think they would, as unless Red Bull are basically renting the IP off Honda now. But if you think of what Honda, when Honda gave rid of, got rid of it, they, they, you know, they did this with Braun. They kind of went, oh, you could buy the whole team for a quid. We don't care. And now they're like, oh, we're leaving. Red Bull, you have the engines. And then, like 10 minutes later, they're like, oh, you know, we said you could have the engines. Um, and all our stuff that made it good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I've if I've understood this even slightly correctly, which is very unlikely, in 2026 they basically have to start again with none of the staff that made the good engine might not be allowed to use the design of the good engine because they've sold it possibly or maybe they haven't. So they could basically come back into F1, having essentially powered a load of championship victories, and presumably, probably, be fairly useless. Well, they have previously this from the yeah. McLaren. <laughs> So Alonso will be really <laughs> home sweet home. <laughs> well, I mean, this because was another first, angle, wasn't it? The whole. Well, this thing. I've just googled this. Um, oh, on, sorry to on. interrupt. No Honda engine IP will be used in the Red Bull from 2026. Oh, so it's it is so, blank slate for everyone. So can Honda therefore yes. basically tweak their old engine? And maybe it will be all right. But even though they won't have the same people that made it good. Well, so I believe happens. I believe that the the way they've got it is that Hon- the Red Bull can use the IP of the Honda engine until 2026, but after 2026, right. so the Ford cannot. will have to be sort of the, the clean slate. Yeah, basically, I think that Honda will come in again, be all great with one with one championships, even though it wasn't us. They'll come back in, they'll be rubbish, and then they'll leave again, just as they get good again, and the whole circle circle will just continue like the Lion King. But wait a minute! 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 Because it's an evolution of the engine rules, and Red Bull are making the Honda engine now, and then Red Bull are making the Ford engine, what actually are the checks in place? Like, surely someone could just be like, oh, here's our new Ford engine. And someone goes, well, that's the same shape as the Honda engine. And you go, oh, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> I think I- you have to prove that you've got, like, your own individual <clears throat> designs. Hmm. Do, you, do you remember, you know, in 2020, when the racing point was basically just a Mercedes? And what Racing Point had to do was prove that they had their own technical drawings, they'd done their own design, even though it was identical to Mercedes and everyone knew it. Somebody scribbled it on a a napkin. Anyway, either way, Alonso is going to find himself back in a Honda engine disaster after a couple of promising years of never quite getting a victory. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Honda has apparently said, because the the question immediately came, I was like, well, you're going to be all right with Alonso. Let's leave leave aside the fact that Alonso is going to be like 46 or 45 by then if he's still racing he obviously has history with honda to the point where they stopped him having a honda engine for the indy 500 didn't they apparently they've said that they're all right with him now but how long will that last which which means they know they've got a shit engine coming <laughs> they wouldn't let that guy maybe win that's one the of whole cars. point of it maybe this is all an elaborate ploy just to fuck over alonso again <laughs> 
they don't care about the championship at all. They're just like, we are. You you piss us off. We are going to get you, and we're playing the long game. We'll show you what a GB two engine really looks like. <laughs> yeah, shit. <laughs> nice. Tell us how wrong we are. You can tweet us at for F one sake, or find us on Facebook where we're for F one sake, or email us at wrong at ff1s.com. Alternatively, if you think we were right, then why not buy Spear? Today, we can celebrate our long-term donors for our short-term kidneys. They are Keith Faulkner, Neil Fraser, Bernhard War, Chris Lee, Jenny and Ralph Brynard, Andrew Cunningham, Bryce Davies, Jason R. Bradley, David Finlay, Jade Estabio, and Gabriel Rosenkurter. Yeah! Join them, join them all, head to ff1s.com forward slash pint pint pint. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, that was the headlines. Now let's head into the teams and see what went down. Red Bull. We start with this from our new Red Bull correspondent, Matt Bryant. Red Bull. After a nightmare qualifying session, Perez took an unconventional approach in his bid to make it into the points, driving into everything and everyone like he was driving Monaco on the PlayStation. He finished down in 17th, although was unlucky to drive into an outer place barrier in the closing stages in the form of George Russell. Meanwhile, even the race organisers turning on the sprinklers two-thirds of the way through the race couldn't stop the Stappen from another race win, partly thanks to Aston Martin, putting the wrong tyres on Alonso's car. Despite the weather and pit lane chaos spicing things up, it was still a relatively easy win for Max Verstappen. My suggestion is, we are awarding the title now, disqualifying from the rest of the season, and we can get on with enjoying the rest of the races. Genuinely, a really good idea. Let's do that. What, just say, all right, Max, mate, you've done it. You've won Here's the championship, you've won. No, you can fuck off. Let's get another smaller shitter trophy for everyone else to fight it out for. Can we, can we not just exclude Red Bull completely? <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, okay, yeah. Because I feel that. like, you know, if we exclude Verstappen, the, the second Red Bull's still going to dominate. Well, is he, though? After this weekend? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think, yeah. Is, now, I come down on this because I am not... I do not like Max Verstappen. I do not like Green Eggs and <laughs> I do not like Red Bull. And I do not like Christian Horner. But... And I know we're only joking about excluding Red Bull. I, it's Red Bull have done really well, and all the other teams haven't, and it's really annoying. Like I really want to find out Red Bull have cheated somehow, because that will make it make more sense. But I think they've just done really Cost fucking cap. well. Cost cap. Also, they got Adrian Newey, and he must be—is he allowed? 
I mean, yeah, I think he's basically <clears throat> like Michael Schumacher, but a designer. Mm. You know, maybe they should make him drive the car and Max design it. There should be a threshold where if you you get to a certain level, you have to swap roles. It would literally, you know, that that really angry emoji. That's what the front of the Red Bull would look like if Max Verstappen designed it. <laughs> it would look like Max Verstappen. It would just um, have orange smoke coming out of everywhere, and just like pictures of him <laughs> all over it. Do you remember when Red Bull did that like Wings for Life charity thing, and it was like a, a hundred squillion pictures of people? It would just be a hundred tiny million tiny pictures of Max Verstappen <laughs> and his dad going, "We're the best." And the what engine was, note would just, just be Super Max over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> And Eurotechno. Yes. It was a contrasting race for those two drivers, wasn't it? <laughs> like Very much so. Verstappen, again, much as I don't like him either as a person, he's very good. He's oh very God, good. I'm, I'm going to say something. All right. I saw the, the interview with Verstappen after the race, and for the first time I thought, I quite like him. <gasps> is this your fickle nature swinging back the other way? This is what always happens, so... So, Laura, the history of me, I've been following Formula 1 since, like, I was nine years old, and what always happens is I hate a driver, and then when they start getting good, I go, he's quite good, actually. Like, I used to hate Hamilton, and then I'm like, oh, I like him, and I can just feel the change happening. My therapist would say it's like attachment theory, attachment syndrome, but I think what it is is that now I've got used to him winning, and, you know, he's winning quite calmly this year as well, you know. He's been less of a dick this year. He's 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 being interviewed more like a champion. He's doing that thing where it's just like, yeah, another race. I did quite well. Because he's starting to put in the pretend hardships that Lewis Hamilton was very good at. Like when he dominated a race. And he'll be going, well, you know, at some bits of the race it was quite hard. And that's what you do when you know that you're walking a championship. You pretend it's harder than it is. <laughs> oh, I had a really bad itch just under my left ear. And I couldn't get to it. I was really hungry. I was like really <laughs> halfway through. I thought, I really want a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, Perez, we've joked previously that, you know, oh, is Perez adding a championship run? No, of course he isn't. He's going to mess it up. I didn't think he'd mess it up quite so spectacularly. So let's go through his weekend. Being lapped twice by your own teammate in Monaco is, you know, that's a new low. Especially at a track where Perez has always been relatively good at. He won last year. He's been on the podium before. I confess, when when he crashed this year in qualifying I was like whoa this is going to come back to bite him when Verstappen doesn't do something later in the season like he did last year um, but this time he appears to have actually genuinely just completely tits it up uh, did you see the crash by the way in, in qualifying he, yeah, he, it was weird. he didn't just get it slightly wrong he got it completely wrong it was almost like what year was it it was a while ago I think he was maybe in a Sauber when he came out the tunnel and absolutely barreled sideways oh, into the old divider that used to be there was it that long yeah. ago? Crikey. Yeah, he it missed It reminded um, me a little bit of that in the way that he just came flying in sideways and absolutely twatted it. Um, may, yeah, maybe old it was almost like hard. he just suddenly decided he didn't want to be part of qualifying anymore. Like That was enough. Mm. That's enough for one day. Goodbye. Well, the break, breaks for, for the week. Yeah, it was, maybe it was very a... odd. A, a classic case of the pressure getting too much. You've got a champion teammate who is clearly better than you. And you're trying to keep up the pace, and you can't. Yeah, and, and that's that's yeah. that's it now. There's no there's no coming back from that. Not not that he was going to do it anyway, but I thought it was going to gradually eke away over a period of several races. But now, no, screwed. Not not unless you know Verstappen has a Mika Hakkinen 1999 type meltdown, or a and, Schumacher you know, broken leg thing. Yeah, which obviously you know, which we don't want to happen. By the way, exactly. Or a Damon Hill just giving up because he can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> 
Or Verstappen yeah, signs um, for arrows halfway through the season. Yeah. <laughs> but that's another thing with Verstappen. He keeps talking about how he wants to retire early and he doesn't want to be in F1 when he's an old man. <laughs> yeah, by Barcelona, yeah. Like, you know. Maybe that's it. Maybe he'll what, just what get to what he thinks. if he did suddenly just decide to quit? It would just... Well, you know, sometimes in qualifying where the top three drivers are fairly confident that they've done enough to get through to the next thing and they don't bother going out for the last run. Do you think he's going to get to sort of the summer break and go, oh, I think I've probably got it now. I'm going to retire now and still win the championship. So a bit <laughs> like when Lewis Hamilton used to win the championship and then not really show up for the races afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So do you think this is going to be an allegory? I this think he's really be, not going to show up. This is going to be the hare and the tortoise. So Max Verstappen is the hare. Very quick with a very domineering father, and <laughs> he is now going to be like, Do you know what? I can take the new rate next few races off because I've got such a big lead. And Perez is the tortoise, and he's going to keep going, and he'll get to the end of the season, and he'll still lose because yeah, and then he'll be replaced by another random Red Bull driver. Liam Lawson, yeah, he'll have got stood on by Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh no, Daniel Ricciardo will use him as a shoey. It'll be a Shelley. I'm, having, I'm going to have a Shelley. <laughs> Just call. Just, I, I've lost my analogy. This analogy has gone all over the shop, yeah. Anyway, the point is, Perez, he was never going to win the championship, but he's really not going to now. And this is only getting worse. Will it break him? Will he get a couple of token wins again? Or is, I mean, he, I think is so. it now going to fall apart Bottas style? No, I think he'll, he'll, do, he'll get a couple of wins. He'll win those tracks he's suited to. He'll soon realise he's fucked. We'll win Mexico, probably. No, not Mexico. No, we've had Baku already, haven't we? I don't know. I suppose the next thing is whether Ricardo is a serious threat to take his seat next year. No. It's hard to see unless Perez has a complete meltdown yeah. later in the year. And even like, if you know, he does... If he has a like... disaster Mexican Grand Prix, maybe he might walk away himself, but I can't see Ricardo replacing him. No. Or Ricardo's reckon... never going to race again. Do you reckon Verstappen will humiliate Perez to the point where Perez walks? Quite possibly, yes. Do like a big wedgie at the (laughs) Mexican Grand Prix (laughs) ceremony. I think think there's every opportunity that that Verstappen will humiliate Perez for the rest of the season. And that could see him walk away from F1 for good. On and off the track. Or do you reckon it's Jos Verstappen, Jos Verstappen just rings Perez at all hours of the night going, you're shit! <laughs> I think they'll replace Perez with Jos Verstappen. I would... L- do Jos and Max Verstappen I mean, he's not going to do- crash any less, is he? <laughs> but do Jos and Max Verstappen ever do any kind of father-son racing? Because I'd like to see what they'd like. Yeah, the trouble is that Jos, for all his... Well, I was going to say for all his good points, but you know what I mean. Um, it wasn't that great as a driver. No, I know, but you think he's he's got the only thing that Max Verstappen fears that that's being his dad. Camper van. Oh right, okay. So I just wonder if I just wonder what they what, what I just imagine the two of them competing would be. Well, I just wonder if if yeah if Jos came in as his teammate that would be the thing that completely crumbles Max and he absolutely mentally falls apart. And Jos Verstappen takes four titles on the bounce at the age of sixty six or whatever he is. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd pay for that. Aston Martin. And this comes from Jamie McNaught. Aston Martin. A town of two talents. Well, one talent. Fernando was pipped twice by Max Verstappen and Stroll. Well, Stroll was pissed, wasn't he? Lance Stroll, to give his full name, Lance Crashy McBumpy Sod the Way Bridgevich, was so poor that Alonso couldn't even feign his weekly willy kiss to the Canadian. 
The Matador was incredibly unlucky this weekend, missing out on an almost certain pole position and saw the decision to put Dries Fowl exactly 30 seconds later. We've already talked about Fernando Alonso, so let's talk about Lance Stroll and why he sucks so much. Why does he suck so much? Because he doesn't want to be a Formula 1 driver. His dad has pushed him into this role. He never wanted to be a Formula 1 driver. He wanted to... He wanted to be in the West End. He wanted to, he wanted to do anything else. And his fucking motorsport-obsessed Tommy Hilfiger dad, who isn't even called Tommy Hilfiger, by the way. That's not even a real person. Has made him, has made him do this. And he's... I think it's a miracle he's any good at all. It's like Once if you got it, uh, one of made in Chelsea and said you can be a Formula One driver. I'm going I'm I'm to drop a slight, oh, wait, no, a slight industry clangor here. I've actually had driving lessons with the guy that gives Lance Stroll driving lessons, like driver coach, uh, and he said that Stroll is genuinely really, really good. But uh, like technically, he's very, very good at driving. Is the uh, technical analysis, but it just seems like he can't string it together. And it, like you can do, I, we we were testing in a Vauxhall Astra, so it's a little bit different. So he's very good in a Vauxhall Astra, but he just doesn't seem to be able to pull it together consistently in a Formula One car. And he's not as good as Fernando Alonso, and by quite a large margin. But do you reckon this is actually what happened? So for years, Lance Stroll was trying to hint as a Christmas present, I'd really like to have a Vauxhall Astra Formula One team. <laughs> And Lawrence Stroll just went, sorry, I think my son said he wanted an Aston Martin Formula 1 team. Make it happen. <laughs> He's like, Dad, no, I want a Vauxhall Astra Formula 1 team. I just want, want a Vauxhall, Vauxhall Astra. Yeah, maybe that's what everyone wants. I just want a new car. I want this a really got out of hand. Easy. So what, what we're basically saying is Lance Stroll wanted to take part in the BGCC. I don't even think he wanted to race. I think he just wanted a Vauxhall Astra. He's on the grid just going, it's almost like a quantum leap moment of going, how the hell did I get here? Yeah. I've entered Never. the Formula... It's like, yes, yeah, it's, like, it's with Nail and I. It's like, oh, I've gone to a Formula One career by mistake. Let's not forget, though, he did once get a podium in a car that was about as quick as Vox Lastra. So. Well, the thing is, he's, he he's, he's all right. He's, he's all right. He's an all he's right like driver. He's like Kevin Magnussen level all right. The problem is, he will never get over, and we can never get over, the Nepo baby daddy owns the team. I mean, hmm. we've had enough drivers that are sons of Formula One drivers. Your Hills, your Verstappens, your Rosbergs. But having someone whose dad literally owned the team, he's never going to be taken... I think if Lance Stroll ever wants to be taken seriously, he has to leave daddy's wing and join Alpha Tauri. <gasps> Red Bull! He'll replace Perez! Maybe they'll do a swap, and Perez will go back to the team that he made bankrupt, and then they fired him after he saved him from going bankrupt. I can't remember what happened. I mean, that would be all sorts of glorious. Well, That's what I want to see. I mean, make it happen. I'm happy with that. Call some people. Alpine. This is from Don Janacek. Alpine. As we all know, Monaco is French for nap time sponsored by F1. Ocon started the race in third position as a result of Norris and Leclerc having had their little kerfuffle in qualifying. Signs pestered him throughout the race, but even hitting Ocon enough to damage the Ferrari's front wing didn't give him the pass, and Ocon carried that third-place start to a very rare third-place podium for Alpine, with Gasly taking seventh. I feel badly for him, though, because when he got out and stood on top of his car to put his hands up in victory, even having one driver of the day, none of the audience was looking at him. They were all looking at Verstappen and Alonso and snapping picks and kind of went, oh yeah, he's there too. 
Do you guys think this is the start of something great for Ocon or just a series of unfortunate events? Uh, the latter. She's absolutely right. It was it was only later I was like, oh yeah, Ocon came third. Okay, that's interesting. He can add that to his... Remember, he actually won a race. He can, he can you know, he's done all right. But it's it's a one-off here and there. You're like, oh yeah, okay. Great. Well done. But the funny thing here is that the boss of Alpine, Lawrence... Lawrence Rossi. Okay, I just guessed a French word then. <laughs> it's Laurent Rossi. Yeah, Laurent Baguette. Yeah, that's right. From status quo. Um... <laughs> He he basically came out last week or the week before and said, Alpine are shit, they're not trying hard enough, fucking hell, I've put all this money in and they're rubbish, they've got to work harder or we're going to fire people, which pissed off the whole team. And the whole team were like, that's not how Formula 1 works, actually. You can't just tell us to get better and they will get better. And then undermining their own argument, they went and got a podium at the next race, which means that old Lauren Rossi is now thinking, I've got the golden t- all I've got to do is slag them off every week and they'll get better. I was going to say, I can't wait to hear his next interview. <laughs> He's going to double down. It's like, well, this, I'm clearly onto the golden formula Yeah, just be here. like going, oh, do you, know, do you know the LP race team? They're all pedos. Yeah. It's like, no, man, you, <laughs> no, you can't say that. <laughs> third place? Third place? That's shit. It's going to be his response. Yeah, I mean, you know, fine. Well, below, well done. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. Uh, you know, he did well. It's probably quite hard to get third at Monaco. Should have been fourth. I don't know. Plenty of yeah. drivers have done it in the past. At That's least, true. You know, 70 times. That's a great point. Just, as he gets on the podium, just be like, oh, you think you're special, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've joined an illustrious list, an illustrious list of 70-odd people who've been third at Monaco. Martin Brundle fucking manages. Come on, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Brundle managed to finish second at Monaco. There you go. Even Martin Brundle's done better than you. Now look at him. Being it's chatted shit. up by old ladies. I feel a little sorry for Gasly. I mean, he had a bit of a bad race, but also, just in general, he's not... He's not wiped the floor with his ex-lover's Tiff, jealous partner. I'm not sure that's quite what it was that they don't get on no I, think I, I don't know the entire story but I don't think that's quite what it was I think they were lovers was that right they're or both they... French have you ever met a French man <laughs> is that racist discuss wrong at ff1s.com racist or possibly sexist and maybe slightly homophobic which okay being as it, it's been as if I'm all three of those things no hang on no I'm <laughs> slightly gay a little bit German and Slightly French. Gender questioning. <laughs> We've dug ourselves into a very deep hole here. Um, yeah, That's what I, I, said. <laughs> I think you're right that Ocon seems to be getting the better of the partnership at the moment, which, yeah, can't be... You can, I bet at the start of this season, both of them came in to go, oh, yeah, we'll pretend to be nice and we'll pretend to be friends, but actually I'm going to crush him. And they exactly. were both thinking that. And it does seem to be Ocon that's doing the crushing. But it's early. It's early in the season. There's still 37 races to go. Let's not forget that Ocon had three penalties in one race. In yes, he did. Well. That wasn't that long you know, ago. This is true. This is true. Uh, There's every chance he could genuinely screw up the rest of the season. Just it's spectacularly. Like, it's like somebody at Alpine has got like a series of scenarios on a dice and is just rolling them to see what's going to happen. And this one, they were like, podium! Whoa! Oh. Previously, they were like, more penalties! Mercedes. Mercedes has had some very fancy updates for Monaco, by which I mean they ditched the old side pods, can you call them side pods, and borrowed some new ones from Ferrari. 
By most accounts, the change had very little, but might in the future or something. Both cars somehow got a top five, which is pretty good going, and Rossum might even have had podium had he not landed himself a penalty. Might we see a Mercedes turnaround? I mean, only, in this season of everyone fucking up, only if other people fuck up more than they're fucking up. I want to take umbrage with George Russell's rather sarcastic tone on the radio this week. Oh. You know, which? when he was just like, oh, you know, oh, I'm just right at the back of Lewis, so if he wants to get out of my way, I, w- I promise I won't go too far. Oh, does Lewis want to have a go at Gasly? Because I'd have a go if he, do- if he's- if he doesn't feel up to it, if he's tired. <laughs> oh. Is he starting Sorry, to patronise him like he's an old man? Yeah, I still seem to be behind Lewis. I don't know if you can tell him that I'm behind him. I don't know if you can see, because, you know, I'm just behind him. And it's just... He had a very weird, arrogant, cocky attitude on the radio, and I do not like it. I'll tell you the thing I don't like about George Russell. The way he says result. Explain. How does he say result? Go on. He says it pretty much like Felipe Massa used to say it, which is understandable, because Felipe Massa does not speak English as his first language. <coughs> he calls it a result. A result. It's a result. Well, he, he is from... Um, is he from Norfolk or somewhere like that? I thought he was from Buckingham Palace. That would be a revelation. Not that he would be the first member of royalty to race, but still. Or or Downing Street. I think he'd be quite at home in Downing Street. He, I can see him being a politician. Oh, oh, yeah. I can absolutely see that when he's like 50. Be like, it was it Carlos Reutemann became a politician, didn't he? But this is the happening. thing, you see, because, you know, they always say, oh, if Ed and Senna hadn't died, he'd become, like, he'd have become the president of Brazil. And then you see that Bolsonaro was the president of Brazil. Yeah, it's like, mm. they go, you know, I'm not sure that's necessarily the best thing. But I can see George Russell being a Tory MP, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I can see him closing a leisure centre with a slight hard-on. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I imagine Tories. Is that it? how they get closed these days? <laughs> <laughs> Might we see Mercedes turn around? I don't know. I've, I, th- I think they're just experimenting. I think they've... I think they've already given up on this year because I don't think they'll accept anything more than victory. No, I disagree. I disagree. I, they're, they're doing a. I Red think they're looking they're, ahead. No, they're doing what Red Bull always did, which is fuck up at the start of the year and by the end of the year be winning some races. It's worth yeah, but next. they might be doing that. But this this is essentially, I think, a development year for them. I think they've given up on on getting any results. Now they're like, right, let's go back to basics. Let's use these races as testing runs. Let's get the cars good. Oh yeah, yeah. and then next year. Boah, Mercedes 2.0. They're going to grow big. I agree with that too. I think you yeah, have a I lot of porridge. I think there's truth in both of those things. Yeah, that's my feeling of how they're dealing with it. And the drivers too, I think. I think if they can pick up places here and there, they'll be like, woo. But that's not what they're going for. They're just going for quality data. The sexiest bit of F1. It's interesting, actually, speaking of, of sexy F1 and enjoying <laughs> it, but it's... Hamilton said he enjoyed Monaco more than he's enjoyed any Monaco race since like the early 2010 or something like that. You know, he crashed, but he enjoyed it. Maybe he's enjoying the freedom of not being under pressure to win. Ferrari. Ferrari's going to Ferrari, and Ferrari did it by messing up the switch over to Inters when the rain came and losing positions to the Mercedes cars. And that's not even mentioning science crashing in practice and Leclerc getting a three-place grip penalty for getting in Norris's way uh, in the tunnel during qualifying. Will they ever get it right? No. I don't really understand why Sainz was so pissed off. Because he drives for Ferrari? Because there was a point where they said, we have to pit you because Lewis pitted and he was going to get the undercut and all the rest of it. And then he just went off and said, I told you not to do this. I was chasing Max. It was just it was just this kind of thing of like, I think, where we're talking about when will the Alonso relationship break down? It feels like at Ferrari, Sainz hates them all for letting him down. <laughs> 
and Leclerc has just gone into a, like a depressed stupor and won't even speak anymore. Mm-hmm. Who even is Charles Leclerc? Was he there? I don't. I mean, he finished two places ahead of Carlos Sides. Did you see him? I'm sure he was there because he got a penalty for yeah for getting in Norris's way, which I confess I missed entirely during the event itself. But wait, we didn't talk about Russell unsafe release. I beg your pardon. Russell just jizzed <laughs> everywhere. Well, it was a. Uh, then he was rejoined. summoned to the steward's office and he just started wanking. <laughs> Do you want to see these results? <laughs> what was quite funny? What was quite funny about that? Because it wasn't when they first flashed it up. I was like, "Oh, is, did he get?" It was, I thought it was a pit stop thing, but it was actually because he, in the rain, he went off, and then as he was trying to come on, he basically came on without looking, and he was right in someone's way. Oh, it was right in Perez's way, wasn't it? He literally just drove over the front of Perez's car like it wasn't there. Yeah. And also, I can't remember if it was his actual excuse or whether it was Martin Brundle in the commentary, but he said something like, so the problem is, the way the Formula 1 cars are designed, you just can't see what's coming, so you just have to go. That was Russell, because they came on the thing and said, George, we've got a 10-place penalty, and he was like, yep, yep, sorry about that, just can't, can't see. Can't see anything. Couldn't see, so I just went for it. Yeah, you know <laughs> what like, I say. Is that really an excuse? Formula One driver? If a Formula One driver can't see a gap and he doesn't go for it, then he's <laughs> an idiot. <laughs> I couldn't see. A Senna famously said, "Yeah." <laughs> so I just shut my eyes and pressed go and went straight into the side of Perez. That's right. Like any Formula One driver, I pressed would. Like the, the go pedal. I mean, the good news is Perez probably didn't see him because he seemed to have his eyes closed for the whole race anyway. Maybe they should all drive with their eyes closed. Anyway, we've gone back to Mercedes. This is is all stuff to make Monaco more exciting. But uh, back to Ferrari. I don't know what's going on with Ferrari. Their strategy is as bad as ever. No one seems happy. I haven't even heard of Freddie Vasseline for a while. And they've still got the bloke who's leaving. Um... Lauren yes, he's still there. Schumacher probably deliberately messing things up for legal reasons, not doing that. But it wouldn't surprise me. Imagine if all of Ferrari's problems over these last ten years was just one guy fucking things up. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who's still on the McLaren payroll from the Spygate year, and he's just like, "Well, they're still McLaren, still paying <laughs> they, did, they didn't find me. I'm and in and out of that news yeah, agent. But, like, there's no tomorrow. And McLaren going like, "Yeah, but we're finishing tenth in the championship." And he's like, "Sorry." <laughs> Still fucking things up for you guys. Well, that's why they're still they're still copying stuff from Ferrari, but Ferrari just shit, so it's not working. Well, that would explain a lot. Maybe exactly. they just you know they keep copying the twenty twenty Ferrari by accident. We've or was it a big double? Open. Was it a big double bluff? And Ferrari have been purposely putting out shit cars so that McLaren will copy them. It's the yes, it's the Honda revenge thing all over again against Alonso. This they, they don't dragging care about the McLaren. Dragging the McLaren Ferrari rivalry down from position one and two of the championship to seven yeah. and eight. Oh. Yeah, Ferrari don't care about winning races; they just want to fuck over McLaren. Talking of which, McLaren, and it's over to David Anderson. Norris qualified tenth and Piastri eleventh after Lando clipped the barrier in the chicane and whacked the wall into back during Q two. The McLaren mechanics heroically repaired his car in time for him to get out in the last minutes of Q three only to be impeded by Leclerc coasting through the tunnel as Lando was driving his best lap. Lando got P10, and Leclerc got a three-grid position penalty. McLaren didn't even get into the race broadcast until lap 47 when Piastri kissed the wall. Both drivers moved up a position into the points, finishing 9th and 10th, when they passed Yuki Sonoda, after AlphaTari told him to pick up the pace, and Yuki asked if they were trying to crash him. Zach Brown knew what to expect from Monaco and instead jetted over to the Indy 500, 
where he had four cars qualify in the top ten, but only got a fifth place best. Yeah, can't argue with much of that. Uh, McLaren with that. I mean, in fairness to McLaren, they both got points. Right, let's talk about the only important thing about McLaren this week. Their terrible guest special livery. Oh, it was awful, that, wasn't it? That didn't, like, do you remember last year they did the kind of golf, yeah, which I guess they can't do this year. lovely, yeah. They can't do because golf sponsors someone else now, don't they? Do they have a little golf? I've lost track. Don't, no, don't golf sponsor Williams? Yeah, they and they're going to have their own golf livery later in the yeah. year, which is probably going to be better than anything McLaren have come up with in the last decade. Yeah, although that, that, I would, that golf, I've, I've got a um, picture of the golf livery on my computer uh, from a recent one. Anyway, sorry, Terry, I interrupted. Well, no, I was going to say, this, this special livery, which I, I, I saw an article about it, so it was trying to be a triple crown livery, <coughs> saying, like, combining like the best on, of... The best of... Like, but but they just cho- they just chose three non-working colourways that didn't go together, and it looked actually like a kind of mid-90s minnow team that had t- 300 different tiny sponsors that were all giving <laughs> 20 quid each. And it just the colours did look... It looked like a kind of Lotus driven by Johnny Herbert kind of livery. Yeah. Which I'm not sure anyone... Well, what for. it actually looked like was a Force India, especially when they put the Vlovis paint all over him for practice. It did. Or dog shit, as it might have been. Um, yes, it was not a good look, but it seemed to work. They drove reasonably. Is that more because everyone else days. drove badly, though? Well, there is that, yes. You could argue that without the incompetence, they would have been out of the points, but, you know, take what you can get. But yeah, Zach Brown had I mean, I mean in fairness to Norris, he was lapping three seconds a lap quicker than Verstappen at one point. Was he? When was yes. this? Or when during the oh, race? Was God when Dur- they changed the inters? He was three like three yeah. seconds a lap faster than anyone on the track. Wow! <laughs> I do like the live facting. It's a shame they couldn't do any better than ninth. Then really, isn't it? I mean, Piastri, fair play. You know, had more more luck than Norris, but seventh is fine. Still, don't think he's that good. But I mean, yay! I don't know. I just find it hard to get excited about them at the moment. Well, don't. Let's move on. All right. Hass, and we've had this in from Emily Knight. Hass. Hulkenberg did have a good start, to be fair, gaining two positions, but then he had a go at Sargent, for which he gets a penalty and some damage, so he has an early pit and ends up last. Magnussen then decides he also wants to have a go on Sargent. He does a bit better and moves himself up to P15. Hulkenberg does some kind of wonderful double overtake, getting himself back to the dizzying heights of 17th, at some point, Magnussen gets himself to P14 and Perez comes charging through and smashes him. That was probably the most exciting part of the race. There were some questionable decisions when it started raining and they were the only two still on the hards. Holkenberg is the first of them to come in for intermediates and attempts to serve his penalty, which they didn't quite get right, and so he's rewarded with another longer penalty. Magnussen tiptoes around on his hards and manages to go off just before he makes it into the pits for his wets ends up last and also has another slide with his new tyres. At some point, Magnussen retires, but they didn't show this on the highlights and I can't remember what happened as I'd pretty much given up by then. I think we all had by that point. Uh, uh, yes, I mean, that was a good... It was a good Haas, but if you're going to review Haas, you've got to go for it because it's for, for new listeners, it's a tradition on the show that we fuck around with the Haas name and I can't even remember why now. It was a catastrophe. Nice. 
it was quite amusing watching Magnuson plundle around on his, his hard tyres. Well, literally everyone was on wet tyres. Well, in tears. Well, at least he hadn't pitted for new ones, but that's, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk about um, <laughs> Hulkenberg getting his five-second penalty and then coming in and then getting another one for not serving it. That's brilliant. How did that happen? Did they just forget to do it? I think it was similar to how Ocon got his penalties back in Bahrain. Well, they they didn't tried to serve enough. the penalty, but they didn't get it quite right. I think they must have touched the car within the, the five seconds or something. I mean, how dis- difficult is it to have a stopwatch in the garage and for some bloke to go, stop, go? Well, apparently, considering F1, the most important thing in it is, you know, time, apparently none of them can count. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, but also hilarious. Which, you know, is great for us. Um, is there anyone in this race that Perez didn't hit? Max Verstappen. Max. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> he got nowhere near him. <laughs> uh, that's good. Thank you, Emily. Anyway, yeah, I've got nothing else to add. Fucking nurse, whatever. Done. AlphaTauri. Either the AlphaTauri has some brake trouble or Yuki Tsunoda doesn't know how to use stoppers when it rains. Tsunoda was doing rather well for much of the race, but then slithered off track and out of the points. Also, De Vries was there, but nobody expects anything from him anymore. I was I misread that and thought it said poppers, not stoppers, and that would explain <laughs> a lot about Yuki Tsunoda's attitude. If just there's a button on his steering wheel that says poppers. <laughs> He's just taking a big old golf, golf, golf. Big old taking golf. A big old... A big old nose gulp of the pop was coming through his helmet straw. And then he's just like going, woo. He is quite amusing. But um, yeah, he was not happy with his brakes, wasn't he? Either either on the radio or using them. That kind of sums up his career, really. Yes. I do quite like him as a personality because he's he doesn't seem to have been chiselled into just generic nonsense like George Russell. He's He's clearly using everything in his power to not shout at everyone all the time well it is it is a slightly weird thing because he's <sighs> Gasly didn't walk the floor with him wipe the floor with him or walk the floor walking the floor again I've got my analogies mixed up walking the floor is like a dance move <laughs> wiping the floor is shit everywhere um but and he we don't I mean Nick DeFries doesn't seem to be great but he's Sonoda's beating him is Sonoda actually a good driver I think he can be. I think he's just massively inconsistent. And sometimes his head goes, is my impression of him. Laura, what do you reckon? I've never really had a big opinion on Yuki Tsunoda. I think he's he was fast-tracked into F1 far too early. He was really inconsistent, but fast. S- still and then is. last year he seemed to get some consistency, but slow. <laughs> and this year, yeah. I don't know, he just... I don't think much of him in general. Like he, he seems a nice guy. He's got a lovely helmet design. That's probably the most impressive thing I could say about him. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds a f- pretty familiar story from the long line of Torre Rosso drivers, yeah, doesn't it, really? Yeah, he's, he's another Buemi. He's, like, he's, yeah, he's there. He's another Jaime Algasuari. Yeah, but he's, he's there, there but he's he won't Scott be there for very long. Another, yeah. But in context, is he the last of that generation? Because there are no more. Well, um, no, drivers. Liam Lawson, isn't there? Is he line up? That sounds he? like a name you just made up, Phil. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Brian uh, Boitano. No, he's an ice skater. 
Boy Tan. That's the name you reach for. <laughs> I don't know Boy why Tan. I reach for that one. Jim Jimerson. Yeah. <sighs> Driver McDriverson. That's right. <laughs> First name, last name. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> I don't, I, I, I don't think we can evaluate Sonoda properly because I think Gasly thumped him in his first year, which everyone was expecting. Last year, Gasly completely given up. And this, this year true. he's got, you know, what's basically a mobile chicane for a teammate. So Yeah. But, and, th- and this year, Gasly's getting his ass kicked as well. So yeah, where does that leave it? I just want there I to think be a good you, Japanese driver. If you driver. put Yuki in the Red Bull, he wouldn't be doing any better than Perez did in Monaco, put it that way. I think he'd be doing a lot worse. What He happened? wouldn't be winning races, I know that much. Yeah. What happened to Nick DeFreeks? Because, like, it felt like everyone thought he was too shit for F1. Then, last year, everyone went, he's really good. And now he's here, everyone's like, oh, he's a bit shit. Well, he had one what happened was he got a seat in a Williams at Monza in what is probably the slipperiest F1 car on the grid and somehow got points with it and everyone thought he was the next Lewis Hamilton one day in his entire career, he managed to not fuck up, and that's given him a Formula One career. I mean, mm. that's how Formula One. Well, works. that and he won a Formula E title. Yeah, but that's on... basically like winning Mario Kart. Oh, you'll fit in well here. I think De Vries has always been a bit out of his depth. In F two, it took him two, three years to to win the title. You know, he was being overlooked for an F one seat to the point he had to go to Formula E. He became formerly champion. He still didn't get an F1 seat, and then he got lucky because Albon's appendix decided to go bang. Well, I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes, but like, I do remember from ages ago there was a time when he was being talked up as like the hot young thing because he was wasn't he like world karting champion or something, and he was on McLaren's yes. books from a very young age. And they were he was in they were hyper, they do you remember were, yeah, exactly yeah yeah exactly and we were we they were people were hyping him up as like the next big thing and then he just kind of vanished and he was sort of like. It sort of reminds me a bit of a less successful Nico Hulkenberg because Hulkenberg in his junior career was really, really well rated and has never quite lived up to it. Except De Vries seems to have not quite lived up to it earlier. I think the problem is that his name doesn't read how it sounds. De, De Vries. Dry. It's like an animal of drives. Well, I'd always heard the name Nick De Vries and I'd always seen the name Nick De Vries. And just presumed it was two different people. Mm. Nick of the chips. Maybe it is two different people. Maybe there's a really good driver called Nick DeFries who's going, <laughs> my, my pass isn't working. This is like Felipe Massa and Felipe Nazar all over again. Williams, here's Charles Massard with his thoughts on how Monaco Grand Prix went for the Grove squad. Williams. William Grover Williams was the first winner of the Monaco Grand Prix in a Bugatti in 1929. However, his statue was buried underneath a grandstand for this year's GP, and I'm sure the current Williams team wish their cars were as well. Logan Sargent thought the car might struggle with the winding circuit, and the only highlight for the team was he managed to get passed by three cars in two laps at Monaco. (laughs) That is genuinely impressive. It was actually three cars in one lap. Oh, wow. Fact. Um, Because, you know... if you get passed by three cars in a Monaco Grand Prix, that's bad. Mm. If you get passed by three cars in one lap at any Grand Prix, that's bad. Mm. If you get passed by three cars in one lap at the Monaco Grand Prix, you're Logan Sargent. Oh. I mean, everyone's now on Twitter was making the demotion joke that we made at the start of the season. And I'd just like to say, we came up with that. 
you stop stealing it. He's not very good, is he? No. And I think it's about time that Williams gave Mick Schumacher a go, which might be uh, slightly no. unpopular in He's some places. He's not very but good either. No, I mean... He's just a bit more experienced I just don't think he got a fair good. chance at Haas. I think he, he got bullied to the point where I just don't think we could fairly evaluate how good he actually is. Not very. I would like to see a Schumacher <coughs> at Williams complete the set. What, what with Ralph? Because Michael was never at Williams. Yeah, Ralph was at Williams ninety nine to two thousand and four. Exactly. It would mean they've had two Schumachers, two Rosbergs, mm. half a hill, <laughs> one Villeneuve, one Villeneuve, yeah. <laughs> and Nakajima. Yeah, let's get and some Nakajima. Let's get some Brabham's in, and then we'll see what we can do. Exactly. There's loads of Fittipaldis. There must be some of them around. Some Andrettis. I'm sure there are three of them. New rule: Williams. you can only have Nepo babies at Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the Aston Martin rule, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm Jude Law's daughter. Can I have Jai for Williams? Yes, you can. <laughs> for Alfa Romeo, we have this incisive report from Simon Lee. Alfa Romeo. Don't know. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Agree yeah, entirely. I can't add this to is that. very, yep. yeah, absolutely. absolutely Shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We're good. All of which takes us to the standings with Terry Saunders. We've had enough races to work out exactly how each driver's doing, so I thought I'd do a little one-word appraisal of each driver so far. So, in first place, it's unstoppable, Max Verstappen. In second place, it's forgettable, Sergio Perez. In third place, it's indubitable, it's Fernando Alonso. Fourth place, regrettable, Lewis Hamilton. Fifth place, belligerable, is George Russell. Sixth place, is irritable, it's Carlos Sainz. And in seventh place, it is disconsolable, it's Charlie Clark. <laughs> Eighth place, he's he's he wouldn't say he's well off. He's comfortable. It's Lance Stroll. Uh, in ninth place, it's Avengeable. It's Esteban Ocon. Enviable, Pierre Gasly is in tenth. Landoble is twelfth. <laughs> with Lando, eleventh is Lando Norris. Pitiable is Nico Hulkenberg in twelfth. Unputdownable is Oscar Piastri in thirteenth. Monitable is Bottas. Unreproachfulable is Zoganyu. Mirthfulable is Yuki Sonoda. Ball sucking a ball is Kevin Magnussen. And in eighteenth place, he's blondable. It's Alexander Albon. And pointless, Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries. And for the Constructors' Championship, I thought, because <laughs> it's obviously <laughs> one of my good weeks, what other things like the Monaco Grand Prix are better when wet? <laughs> I cannot believe what I'm reading. Oh. So in first, in first place, it's sponges. <laughs> in second place, rich tea biscuits. Why would Third you want pla- a soggy rich tea biscuit? You don't want a dry one. You want to dip it dip in the it. tea. You mad? Yeah, a dunk. In third place, boats. I'm looking at you, Miami. In fourth place, cup of soup. That's Ferrari. In fifth place, swimming. It's Alpine. In sixth place, my cheeks upper. I've been crying a lot lately. It's McLaren. <laughs> in seventh place, global hypercolor. That's Haas. Uh, in eighth place, sherbet dip dabs. I've just become Peter Kay. In ninth place, pebbles. I fucking hate a dry pebble, don't you? And in tenth place, your mum, Williams Mercedes. <laughs> What's the pebbles thing? I just, you know, when people have pebbles in their windowsill, they take it from the beach, and I just think pebbles deserve to be. Wet. Most pebbles are in the sea, and if you take a pebble from its natural habitat and put it in captivity <laughs> in a dry window, I don't think it's happy. So I think all pebbles should be wet. They're not fucking Simple. shamu. <laughs> I don't care about your shawadi wadi. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and now the man of the match of driving. Fernando Alonso. <laughs> oh. uh. 
And now it's time for the State of F1 with Terry Saunders. Monaco somehow managed to contain a fast Alonso, a weary second Red Bull, a podium for Ocon and some rain, but it still managed to retain this record for somehow being boring even though maybe it wasn't. Any season F1 fan knows the drill. Rain is vaguely forecast during a dull race, but the clouds never open until Ted Kravitz is doing his notebook. But no, the rain gods, um, rained, and all hell was broken loose on a very specific section of the track. Cars at the notoriously difficult track were going everywhere. Well, well, not really. A couple of escape roads and a couple of barrier brushes, but mostly these harder-to-drive cars looked more like they were going down the shops. But surely a canny Alonso will yield a brilliant strategy? No, they screwed up too. Verstappen's been in the war here again? No, perfect drive again. Monaco really did snatch boredom from the jaws of excitement. (laughs) But don't worry, I have a solution. Look, we can't control the weather, and despite it clearly being the best idea, sprinklers will never happen in F1, so I propose my near-annual list of ways to spice up Monaco. Number one. Movable barriers. The Armco barrier will be loaded on springs and randomly shifted on every third lap. (laughs) Two, a real tunnel. You'll need a torch, but if you can use your annual cost cap budget making a tunnel underneath the circuit, you will automatically win. Three, mandatory overtaking. You will have to cede a place to the car behind you three times during a race. What if you're in the lead on the last lap? Logan Sargent's going to love that. (laughs) Yeah, you haven't had your... You haven't had your mandatory seeding a place. It's like having two different compounds of tyres. Four, the tobacconist. Bring back the glamour of old F1 by forcing a mandatory stop in a CBD vape store. (laughs) And five, summon Olivier Panis. At the steward's discretion, Olivier Panis is allowed on the track. It is 1996 (laughs) Ligier. Yeah, I'm happy with that. All of those. Brilliant. I think it would work. Yeah, although vaping is very bad for you kids. Don't do it. That's it from us. It's goodbye to Phil Trollmans. Goodbye. We haven't had time to talk about the Indy 500, which was won by one of the greatest drivers in the world, who was, I think, second in the 2009 British Formula 4 Championships. Well done to him. And Marcus Ericsson. Marcus, oh yeah, <laughs> mediocre Formula 1 driver was second, and uh, a racist was third. Nigel Farage. Sums it up. And to Terry Saunders. We are on time to talk about Hamilton going to Ferrari. Uh, He's not going to Ferrari. He's not going. I think he'll go to Ferrari. I think he'll end his career at Ferrari. He won't win again. (laughs) Most people end their career at Ferrari, whether they intend to or not. We'll be back next week to discuss the Spanish Grand Prix, unsurprisingly, in Spain. In the meantime, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash for F1's sake, and follow us on Twitter at for F1's sake. Terry, where can people buy merch? ff1s.com forward slash shop shop shop. Thanks for listening. I've been Laura Leslie. Goodbye. 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 Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.